Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Well, amen. Thank you, Jesse and praise team for your leadership today. Would you go to the Lord with me? God in heaven, thank you. Thank you, thank you that you have spoken to us, that you have not been silent, that you've given us a word that we can examine, that we can draw upon, that we can learn from. Lord, that that leads us to know you, to behold you, to endeavor to glorify you. God, thank you for its message that though you are the rock of ages, you came down in time and space and wrapped yourself in our humanity to be broken for our sins, not yours, but for our transgressions. And God, that, that through your wounds we can be healed, that through your atoning death and sacrifice, if we turn from our sin and look to Christ as our hope and Savior, that we, that we have hope not just in this life, but of life everlasting. Lord, that's reason to celebrate and to worship and God, I pray this morning you've been, you've been pleased thus far with our worship, and, and I pray, God, that you would aid this preacher of your word um, to deliver a message that is from the heart of God today. God, we pray for Paul as well, as he's away, that you would grant him and Abby safe travels, and Lord, that he would be anointed by your spirit as he proclaims your word this day. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 78. Is where we'll be today. Psalm 78 verses 1 through 8. So if you have your copy of God's Word, and I, and I hope that you do, please turn to Psalm 78. And if you came expecting Esther, I apologize. We'll be back in Esther very soon. Um, but Esther has been intense on your pastor, and uh, I needed a break from Esther. I mean, it has been a, a slog, a good slog, but it has been very difficult preparation. And um, Today, I felt in light of the momentous occasion before us with the 12 children who've been dedicated to the Lord, that we should talk about the significance of that event in the life of God's people, not just for the parents, but for the entire gathered church. I really can't put into words the excitement that I have on a day like today. But maybe you could identify with this illustration. I, I used to be a decent runner. I, I ran competitively, as many of you know. And, and when you run and line up for a race, the starter will say, runners to your mark, get set, and he'll draw the gun to the sky. And then if he's a good starter, he'll make you wait for just a little while before he says go and fires the gun. And so I feel like we're on the start line, and the starter said, runners to your mark, gets set, and he's, he's lifted that gun to the sky, and he's about ready to fire it. That's, that's how I feel on a day like today, and I, and I hope it's how our entire gathered church feels as well. Whether you're online today, or in the gymnasium today, in Overflow, or here in the sanctuary, I hope that you feel the, the weight and the excitement and the gravity of what has just happened. Because the future is here. It's it's before us. Not not long from now, the the babies that we dedicated today will be leading the charge for King Jesus in a broken world. 
The kids that we just dedicated will be navigating the tough questions and decisions that are coming at a breakneck pace for Christians in our country. And that means North Roanoke Baptist Church has a job to do today, right now. But but what exactly is our job? That's a question we should be asking on a day like today. When we talk about children, what is our goal for our children? Which is the title of this morning's message. the, The goal for our children. You know, many parents have great goals for their kids. They want their kids to enjoy career success, and they'll sacrifice just about anything for their child to have a successful career. Some parents want their children to be the world's best athlete or the world's best artist, and they will spend countless dollars and time chasing that dream, finding the coach or the mentor or the expert who can exactly help their child become the greatest at something. Others want their kids to be just decent, moral, upstanding citizens. And they focus more on behavior modification than on issues of the heart. And they might send them to to civic clubs and civic leagues and enroll them in Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts. And not that those are bad things, but if all they ever become is good citizens who don't make a fool of themselves in public, that's still not enough. Still, other parents really want their kids to just be well-rounded, right? I want them to be decent at sports and decent in academics, and I want them to be pretty moral and virtuous people at the end of the day. I want some combination of these things so that my kids will be well-rounded. And none of these things in and of themselves is necessarily a bad thing, right? But, but none of these good things is the best thing. And and I'm here to tell you this morning that if we chase what is good before we chase what is best, the good becomes the enemy of the best. Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, seek first, not second, not third, not tenth, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Far too often we reverse the order. And we put Jesus at the end of a long list of things rather than first in our lives. We seek to add the frills and the thrills to our kids' lives and then toss some Jesus in on the side, hoping that will be enough. But Jesus did not leave heaven to go to a cross to be the side dish in your life or in your kid's life. Jesus left heaven to be the main course, the bread of life. He's our all in all. And when it comes to setting priorities, Jesus says we have one priority. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. And he never says, seek second anything else. Keep on seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that reality, church, must be the driving force in how we think about the next generation before us that we've just dedicated. And that... That might sound daunting to us as as parents or as a church, but I I find it to be truly clarifying. I find it to be truly freeing. God is asking of parents and of churches with respect to the next generation one thing. He's not asking us to send our kids to Harvard. He's not asking us to raise kids who are popular or are great with people or who win all the awards or make all the shots or make all the grades or surpass their peers. None of those things are going to help our children with what ultimately matters if those good things are not motivated by the best thing. 
It's okay to desire good things for our kids, but we've got to remember that it is eternally foolish to put anything ahead of knowing and serving God. And for that reason, I want us to look together today at Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8, as we consider this question, what is the goal? What is the goal for our children? Hear now the word of the Lord. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God. If you're writing in your Bible, you can circle that so that the purpose of 1 through 6 is verse 7. All of that is spoken so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Psalm 78 continues, it gives us, it exists for really two main reasons. The first purpose of Psalm 78 is to teach us to obey God by reminding us of the negative example of the unfaithfulness of Israel, in particular the northern kingdom of Israel. Secondly, at the end of the psalm, it will focus our attention on the tribe of Judah and King David and the promises of God that will be fulfilled through His coming Son and King. But today, we're just going to focus on these first eight verses, which are setting up this opportunity to learn by way of the negative example of Israel, Verses, notice in verse 1, verses that are addressed to, oh my people. All of God's people are in view in Psalm 78, verse 1. And verses 1 through 8 are a teaching about teaching. About preparing the next generation of those who will seek after King Jesus and put their hope in God. And, And notice that the psalm is very clear All God's people, not just the parents who were here at the front of the platform a few moments ago, all of God's people have a responsibility in discipleship. To be sure, parents have a primary responsibility, but so do churches, because you can't make a disciple of Jesus without a local church. And as we'll see in verse 7, our aim, the entire church's aim for our children is that they would set their hope in God. And in order to do that, we see two things in this text. First, in verses 1 through the first half of verse 4, we see that we must not withhold the deep things of God from our children. We must not withhold the deep things of God from our children. In verse 2, the teachings that are in view are called a parable and dark sayings. That word dark sayings literally means naughty points. Did you know that while the Bible is clear, it's revealing to us an infinitely holy, 
powerful, eternal God. And sometimes, doctrine and theology can take a lot of brain power. It can almost feel like you're untying a knot, something that's kind of turned together and twisted up. You ever had a knot in your shoe you thought you're never going to get untied? Sometimes I feel like that when I'm coming to the Word of God and trying to understand the deep things of God. And yet, what does the psalmist say? We will not withhold the deep, knotty truths of the gospel from our kids. You know, one of the things that makes it knotty and twisted up is, is our own sin, right? Our sin gets in the way and hinders our understanding. But we've got to get the, the deep, knotty truths of the gospel into the minds and hearts of our kids because it is the Word of God that reveals God and His wisdom and our sin. And when we confront our sin, it's uncomfortable and it's, it's often like trying to untie that knot. And yet we know that the only hope for our kids is that they would hear the Word of God and set their hope in God. So we must not withhold from our children who God is and that we've sinned against Him. We will not sugarcoat our sin. We will not ignore the deep truths of God because our children must know these things. Tozer says this, the abandonment of a right view of God inevitably results in theological collapse and moral ruin. Notice in verse 2, the things that we are commanded to teach our children are things from of old. Do you see that in verse 2? What does that mean? It means they're ancient things. They're things that we've known from the beginning. And what's interesting to me, church, is we live in a world filled with constant pressure to innovate and pursue new knowledge and new information, right? What's new? What's current? What's up to date? We, everybody wants to know what is new. And it's not bad to want to discover new things and know new things. Part of that's being made in the image of God. And yet, the most important thing our kids need is not new information. They need old news. As Judah, the southern kingdom, is turning from the Lord in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet says this, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. For our children to find rest in a soul-wearying world, we've got to teach them the foundational truths found in the earliest pages of Scripture. God made a good world, created for the worship of Him. Man sinned, man fell, they rebelled against God, but He promised to send His Son as a rescuer. These are the things we must share with our kids no matter what. And look at verse 3. These are things that the psalmist says as he writes the psalm. These are things that we have heard and we have known, and that our fathers have told us. If you were to summarize verse 3, how would you summarize it? Here's how I decided to summarize it. God's people are supposed to be constantly talking about God's Word and transmitting it from one generation to the next. These are the things we heard about in the natural course of conversation from our fathers. Now the word fathers here doesn't mean just their biological dads. It means people of influence in their life. It can include their fathers as well as their mothers. Children orphaned from an early age were still taught by adults 
who became their spiritual fathers and mothers in God's word. All of God's people in this psalm are being entrusted with the responsibility of serving as spiritual parents for the upcoming generation. You say, well, well, how do you know it's not just their mom and their dad, or just their dad? Well, look at verse 4. Do you see what it begins with? That little pronoun, we. All of us, we will not hide these. What are these? What are we not going to hide from our children? That's, that's referring back to the parables and the dark sayings. We will not withhold these truths from their children. Now that's interesting. We're not going to withhold these truths from our children is, is what I would expect Psalm 78 verse 4 to say. But instead it says, we won't hide the deep old foundational truths from their children. Whose children? The father's children. Now how is it that we don't withhold from our children the truths from their children? That's, is that not confusing? It's a little bit confusing. Here's, here's what the psalmist is saying. And I don't want this to slide past this church. The children that we dedicate today and that we trust by God's grace will one day turn from their sin and trust in Jesus. They are not just the children of their parents. They belong to all of us. We all have a responsibility to help and be a part of getting the gospel into their hearts. Verse 4 assumes that God's people are a multi-generational family, interconnected and built upon and committed to handing down the unchanging truth about our unchanging God, not just to our own children, but to all the children that He sends to North Roanoke Baptist Church. Let, let me explain in easier terms, what this means. It means if you're a member of North Roanoke in right standing who loves Jesus and you don't have a child, you just became a grandparent today. Does that make sense? The people who founded North Roanoke Baptist Church in 1957 at 6402 Peters Creek Road who are no longer alive, they just got some new kids. Now, that will be realized when they come to saving faith in Christ, but the children that, that we have been given a stewardship for at North Roanoke today and that will be given a stewardship for in the future, it's not just up to their parents, it's up to all of us. Many of you became grandparents and great-grandparents this morning. Congratulations. I hope you snapped a picture and you put it on your Facebook feed. You told everybody that you got 12 new grandbabies. That's awesome. And, and let me tell you what I know about grandparents, because I'm serious about this. In fact, you became more a grandparent spiritually than you are physically today, because it is what is eternal that lasts forever. And, and here's what I've learned about grandparents. Did you know grandparents will take early retirement if they have to, to go support their children as they raise their children? I've seen it happen many, many times. Did, did you know they will do whatever it takes to get junior to college. They, they will tolerate just about any inconvenience and give up just about every advantage and every resource to be a blessing to their grandchildren. Am I speaking truth this morning? Have you all seen grandparents like this? Maybe, maybe not. They, they do, right? And, and the last thing I want you to know about grandchildren, did you know grandparents want to be with their grandchildren? They'll, they'll drive 
three hours to Raleigh, like our grandparents, my kids' grandparents did. And if they have to, they had something they had to be back for, they'll turn right back around. They'll do whatever they have to. They'll make that lap. They'll make that lap. And they want to be with their grandkids. Now, don't get me wrong. They also want to give them back. I've heard that's the joy of being a grandparent. You get to get them back, give them back to mom and dad. But they want to be with their grandkids. So let me ask you a question, church. If Psalm 78, verse 4, just proved to us that our children belong to the generation before us, and even the generation before them, then why wouldn't the generations before us who are still alive want to be with their grandchildren? Why would we want to segment ourselves into services of young and old? Why would we tolerate a church that divides itself in ways that prevent us from seeing or investing in the coming generation? It's simply not consistent with the Word of God. We are one family investing in the children that God is raising up. And God help me, to the best of my ability, I want to lead our church to be one family on mission, multi-generational, multi-ethnic, pulling and plowing for the glory of King Jesus, for the development of our children in the gospel. So help me God. Our children are all of our responsibility. And until the day that each of us meets Jesus, may God give us a passion for being a part of helping them know and love God. But what exactly will we teach our children? I'm so glad you asked. Let's look at the second half of verse 4 and verse 5. We've got to tell our children who God is, what He's done, and how they may know Him. As the psalmist looks back on, I, on Israel's idolatry and unfaithfulness on the one hand, and on the incredible faithfulness of the Lord to deliver them on the other, what does he say? He says, we will not hide from our kids the glorious deeds and wonders of our mighty God. Or in verse 5, we will not hide the Lord's testimony in Jacob and His law or His teaching in Israel. In other words, the children will be taught about the Lord's covenant promises that come through Jacob and culminate in Christ. And they will be instructed about what it looks like to live for and follow God. In considering the Lord's glorious deeds and His might and His wonders in verse 4, we think not only of how the Lord parted the Red Sea and delivered Israel out of slavery, we also speak, we think rather of His specific promise to send His specific Son and give Him to the world to deliver them from sin against all odds. We think of God's mighty acts of salvation in the Old Testament, but we also think of Jesus who fulfills those acts. The Son who came in the line of Jacob, who kept God's law and died to lead us out of slavery to sin and to blaze a clear path through the sea of death so that we could be ushered into the presence of God. Verse 5 says, these are the things, do you see it? That we must teach our children why. You see verse 5? He commanded it. He didn't make it an option. He didn't say, here's a suggestion, you might want to invest in the next generation. What did God say? The people of God will be a people who are vested in training up the next generation. It has been commanded by God. Well, where did God command that? Do you remember Deuteronomy chapter 6? These words that I command you today 
shall be on your heart, not just on your mind, but on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So in other words, when are we supposed to talk about the Word of God with our kids? All the time. I mean, not when you're sleeping. It's pretty much the, the, the time that we are permitted to, to take a rest is when we're resting. Otherwise, our minds and our hearts and our homes shall be saturated with the Word of God. Who God is, what He says, what He's done, what it looks like and means to belong to Him should be filling our mouths and our minds and the mouths and minds of our children when? Constantly. Constantly. And dare I say it, that's just weird. That's strange, right? I mean, the conversation that fills the normal home in the world is not about the old ancient paths and the old truths of the gospel and the old, old story that we love to tell. Their conversation is, is about everything else in the world. It goes from one thing to another. And yet, in the background of the Christian home, there's this ongoing narrative of the gospel that should be filling your home. It doesn't mean that you don't ever talk about something else like the Chinese rocket that fell in the Indian Ocean. I mean, I'm glad it didn't fall in Virginia. Last night, I was looking at the path. I'm like, do I have to get in a bunker real fast? Ah, it's going to the Indian Ocean. We're going to be all right. But it does mean that there's a, there's a constant mindset to look for opportunities to communicate the Word of God in real-life scenarios such that our children will learn to place their hope in God. And the reality is, the reality is, before we get to point three in just a moment, we live in a world where the only truth that people will accept is that there's no such thing as absolute truth. Let me say that again. We live in a world where the only truth people accept is that there's no such thing as absolute truth. And did you know that's got to be an absolute lie? Because to say there's no such thing as absolute truth is an absolute truth. So it's got to be absolutely false, therefore there is absolute truth. But we've got a world that feels good about themselves by justifying their own truth. They want to write their own story, their own narrative, and say, I'll do what I want and it'll all work out in the end. But I'm here to tell you, there is absolute truth, and truth is a person, and His name is the living Lord Jesus Christ. And He came to fulfill the Old Testament, and the law, and the prophets, and He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. So why do we want to clearly and consistently communicate God's truth to our children? Because that is the only way they can come to know the one who is true, have their sins are forgiven, and have a right relationship with God, which is the goal, right? It is the goal of giving the deep foundational truths of the gospel to the next generation. The goal is there in verse 7 that they would set their hope in God. But, but notice something. It's not just that the kids we dedicated today would set their hope in God. It's, it's actually bigger than that. Our goal is actually that our children would so set their hope in God, get this, that their children would set their hope in God. This is what happened in my mind when I studied that passage this week. Our goal is not just that our kids would pass the test. Our goal is that they would be able to teach their kids to pass the test. 
It's not just that they would get right information, but they could communicate that information. Do you see that in verse 6? That, that they could communicate the deep truths of God to children yet unborn. Our goal is not for our kids to know God's Word long enough to get a star on their badge or a piece of candy out of a reward box. Our goal is that our kids would have God's truth so deeply hidden in their hearts that they would gladly and rightly teach it to children that we may never know. How do we, how do we teach our children of who God is and what He's done and what He has said so that they would set their hope in God? Do you, do you see that word set in verse 7? We, we do these things so that they would set their hope in God. Has anybody ever broken a bone and had to have it set? When, when you get a bone set, you want it to be set, right? You don't want any question about, is that thing in there? Are we good to go? Are we locked and loaded? Hey, maybe it's a little offset. No, I want it set. I want to be able to set it and forget it. And there's a permanence about the word set. Our, our aim for our children that we dedicate today is not that they would walk an aisle. It's not that they would be a decent human being. It's not that they would get wet in a baptistry. Our aim is that they would so set their hope in God that it orients the rest of their life Godward such that our children's children would also anchor the very hope of their lives in God who alone can save. These verses have blown my mind this week. Because for as long as I can remember, I've thought of discipleship as training the next generation. And that's not wrong. you got to train the next generation. But we're not just training the next generation. This psalm shows us that discipleship is training the next generation so well that they will be able to train the next generation. In other words, train up a child in the way she should go so that she will not depart from it when she is old. Proverbs 22.6 is not even one half of our assignment. We must train up our children to be able to train up their children for the glory of God. So what does that mean, North Roanoke? It means that we must be a church who supports moms and dads and loves their children enough to support them and encourage them in the process of getting God's Word into their little minds and hearts. And dare I say it, it also means rejecting some things, right? It means rejecting the idea in our society of an extended adolescence and delayed adulthood. Did you know the world really underestimates kids and what they're capable of? It is not necessary for 47-year-olds to live in their mom's basement and play video games. The idea that kids can learn algebra and trigonometry, but they can't learn God's Word is offensive to me. We've got to stop apologizing for what our kids don't know and start prioritizing what God told us to prioritize. We're here every Sunday 
We're here every Wednesday except in the summer. We provide discipleship opportunities for kids and for parents. We are working right now on a plan that will go from 0 to 18 so that when Junior, if he is consistent and faithful at North Roanoke Baptist Church, when he walks across the graduation stage at Salem or Glenver or Northside or Botetot or Fleming or wherever God has them, when they walk across that stage, they won't walk across with just a diploma in their hand. They'll walk across the stage with a firm grasp of God's word in hand, but you got to engage Junior in the opportunities that are here. Otherwise, it's not our fault. So parents, we want you to be here. Training the next generation church means we've got to go to war against two lies that infect every human heart. Paul David Tripp has said, we come into the world believing the lie of autonomy which says I'm an independent human being and I have the right to live my life however I choose to live it. In other words, there is no God and I'm not accountable to Him. And we also come into the world believing the lie of self-sufficiency. The lie of self-sufficiency says I have everything I need within myself to be what I'm supposed to be and do what I'm supposed to do. In other words, if there is a God, I don't need Him. If there is a God, I, I don't care. I can get along just fine. Without him, both the lie of autonomy and self-sufficiency are the result of sin, which leads us to trust in ourselves and worship things that please our flesh rather than God. So our job as God's people is to point our children to the reality that God is over all, that they are accountable to him, and in him alone do they find their rest, their security, their hope, and their confidence. So North Roanoke, with God as our help, We will teach our children the deep truths of God and we'll do it together, treating these children like our own grandchildren and great-grandchildren with the, the hope that they will set their hope on God alone. And as these children place saving faith in Christ, as they turn from their sin and trust in Jesus, I want to show you as we conclude the message what it will look like in their lives. What does it look like when you set your hope in God? That's a great question. And verses 7 and 8 tell us. Do you see it in verse 7? The first thing that happens when we set our hope in God is we do not forget God's works. The, The orientation of the life of someone who sets their hope in God is that they are especially thankful for and grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus. Their entire life They're giving, they're praying, they're going, they're worshiping who they are, what they do in the workplace. It is oriented around, I will not forget the fact that Jesus Christ gave his life for me. Secondly, they will keep God's commandments. As people who trust in Jesus, they will go to war against sin in their lives. They will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to obey Christ's commands, to put to death the deeds of the flesh. For as Jesus says, you remember it in John 14, 15? If you love me, keep my commandments. And then finally, they will endure to the end, pursuing God's work in a challenging world. They won't be like their sinful forefathers who were not steadfast, who, who had a fickle spirit, who did not stay the course. But if we could borrow words from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, they will be steadfast, immovable abounding in the work of the Lord. What is our goal for our children? We desire that they would so set their hope in God 
that they would gladly spend their lives helping future generations to set their hope in God. May God help us embrace this vision for our children, the children before us, the children not yet born, so that countless others will be reached with the precious gospel of Jesus Christ, and they too will set their hope in God. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we pray that you would find North Roanoke Baptist Church faithful in the task that you have put before us. Lord, we give you praise for every single family represented. Lord, I I thank you, God, for answering prayer that young families would gather at North Roanoke, that that you would bring young singles together in, in marriage, and then, God, that you would bless them with families. And, Lord, that we would have the privilege of having a front row seat of seeing you get a hold of their hearts and turn them into ambassadors of the gospel in the the lives of their children yet to come and in the lives of those who have, have yet to hear the gospel. Lord, we thank you for what today represents and we pray, God, we know we cannot do it in our own power or in our own strength. We pray that you would find us to be faithful stewards of the boys and girls dedicated today that you have given to us. We pray that we would steward them well for the glory of Christ our King. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.